What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Messages Podcast of Northview Church. We're so glad that you're taking the time to listen to today's message. Northview is a place for you to grow closer to God and to grow closer to others. We would love to meet you in person and then have you visit us at any one of our campuses. You can find a campus near you or get more information about Northview by visiting us online at northviewchurch.us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, we're in a series of messages called True North. This is week three of this particular series, and we've talked about the difference between true north and magnetic north. We talked about how true north is a fixed point. You can actually go to a spot in the North Pole, and that is true north, where at the same time, then there is magnetic north. It's not a fixed point. It aligns with the Earth's magnetic field, which is constantly shifting or constantly moving. And so depending on where you're standing in the world, you could be anywhere from one degree off to as much as 18 to 20 degrees off, true north. And so some of you might, as we talked about the last couple of weeks, some of you might say, so Steve, what's the big deal? If you're only off a few degrees, who cares? And the example that I've used or the illustration I've used is that if you were to get into a rocket ship and go to the moon and you're only one degree off, by the time you got there, you would miss the moon by 4,169 miles. Well, in a similar way, true north, if we're trying to use this as an analogy, if we're trying to use this as a, a metaphor, if you will, true north is Jesus. When it comes to life, True north is Jesus. He never wavers. He never moves. He is absolutely a solid rock that you can put your trust in. But magnetic north is similar to our culture today. It's always shifting. It's always moving because there's all kinds of different philosophies and values and ideas and ideals and worldviews that are out there. And the longer you live your life, pointed to magnetic north instead of true north, you're gonna find yourself at a destination that you never intended to be. Now there might be some of you that would say, you know, Steve wants, if I'm being really honest, there was one point in my life where I know that I was headed true north. I know that I was focused on Jesus and I was headed true north. But the pull of this world, the temptations of this world, just continues to get me off course. Jesus made it very, very clear in John's gospel, chapter 14, verse 6, when he answered, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He said, I'm not just a way, I am the way. I don't just tell the truth, I am the very definition of what truth is. I'm not just a way to life, I am life. So basically that passage is telling us, Jesus is saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Jesus said, I am true north. Well, we also looked at the book of John, the gospel of John, because Jesus gives us seven I am statements. You remember that? Seven I am statements. And the idea was that he's trying to bring clarity. He doesn't want us to be confused about who he is. He wants us to fully and completely understand his character and his nature. So he gives us some I am statements that are descriptive. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. Now, I want you to understand Jesus is saying, I want you to understand who I am. 
Now in this particular series, we've looked at four of these. I am the light of the world, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, and I am the true vine. So far, we've looked at I am the resurrection. That was Easter weekend, and we said that's so important because if there's no resurrection, there's no Christianity. It's as simple as that. I cannot overstate that. If there is no resurrection, there is no Christianity. You know, throughout the centuries, there have been many people, many people who have come and gone who claim to be a God, and the only thing that sets Jesus different than every other one of these people that claim to be God is the fact that he actually came back from the grave. He actually rose from the dead. And so Jesus is the only true God. No resurrection, no Christianity. Then last week we looked at I am the shepherd, which basically we saw that we're sheep and so the shepherd wants to lead you to true north. The whole point is that he wants to guide you, he wants to lead you to true north. Today, we're gonna continue in our series and we're gonna talk about I am the door. Now when you think about the doors, I don't know what comes to your mind. For some of you, it might be the 70s rock band, The Doors. But of course, I'm now aging myself. But for most of us, when we think about doors, we picture something similar to these. All kinds of different doors. I mean, doors come in all shapes and they come in all sizes. As you know, there are doors of all kinds, steel doors, wood doors, glass doors, screen doors, trap doors, saloon doors, and half doors. There are front doors and back doors. There are garage doors. There are interior doors. There are patio doors. There are dog doors to let your dog in. There are cat doors to keep that cat out. (laughs) There are barn doors and even gates on a fence. Doors are often things that we take for granted. I mean, there's so many of them in our life, we don't even really give it much thought. We don't think about the role that a door plays in our daily lives, but you might be surprised to find that it actually does play a part of our daily life. A door is a movable or a hinged structure that's used to close off the entrance of something. It can swing open or it can swing closed. It can go up or it can come down. It can slide or it can even rotate. A door that's open or closed, well think about that for a minute, a door that's open or closed sends a very different message. A closed door is what? A closed door is very uninviting because it usually means stay out. It keeps you away from what's going on on the other side or what's going on inside that room. On the other hand, an open door feels like an invitation, doesn't it? If we walk up to some place and the door is open, you feel very, uh, you feel very comfortable walking through it because after all, the door is open. It feels like an invitation. It invites you to come in to what's going on inside. Doors can provide you with privacy, as well as security. I'm sure you have several doors in your home, but do you have any idea how many? Have you ever given it any thought? I got curious and so I asked them to count at the Carmel campus how many doors there were. There are 289 doors at the Carmel campus. That's a lot of doors. That's a lot of opening and shutting. Doors and doorways also appear in metaphorical or allegorical situations as a sign or as a symbol of change. Do you understand what I'm saying? The idea of going, in other words, it can be the idea of going from one stage of life to the next. I wonder what's behind the next door in your life. 
You may be in a conversation with somebody and they ask you that. I wonder what's behind the next door in your life. Even the Old Testament uses a door as a metaphor. In Psalms 141, it says, set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. It's trying to, it wants you to get a word picture of that. So keep, a watch, keep watch over the door of my lips. You might also hear someone use it as an example of an opportunity. Maybe you use this frequently. This job, this job that I'm doing offer, excuse me, this job offer that I have right now seems like an open door. It just seems like an open door. Or this guy has really opened up a lot of doors in my life. Listen, friends, when it comes to life, there's just a lot of doors that we consciously choose to open as well as close. And these doors may have serious repercussions or they might have abundant rewards depending on what we do with them or how we respond to them. Let me show you how Jesus also used a door as a metaphor. In John chapter 10, verse seven, so Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the door for the sheep. There it is. I am the door for the sheep. All the people, all the people who came before me were thieves and robbers. The sheep did not listen to them. I am the door and the person who enters through me will be saved and will be able to come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I came to give life. Life in all its fullness. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. In those days, and especially, I think, in that part of the world, there were a lot of shepherds. I mean, shepherds were very, very common. So the people listening to Jesus as he shared this story would have completely understood his analogy. They would have completely understood the point that he was trying to make. You see, at night, shepherds would often build what they called a sheepfold or an enclosure or a fence to protect his sheep. I've got a picture here of one of them to, to help you better understand. And I know it's grainy, but if you get the idea, he would take rocks and he would build, depending on how many sheep he had, is how big he would make it. But the shepherd would build uh, stones into kind of a square or whatever size he needed to make to get his sheep inside of it. Then he would find some thistle or, or thorn bushes and he would put along the top of it and he would build himself a little gate there. And the shepherd would sleep, that's where he slept, leaning against that wall. So in other words, the shepherd became the door. And there was only one door. There was only one doorway. And the shepherd actually would sleep in that doorway so the sheep on the inside were protected from wild animals at night. So a wild animal, he couldn't go over because of the thistles. And so a wild animal, in order to get in to get the sheep, would have to go past the shepherd. I love that analogy. I love that picture of how a shepherd became the door, how a shepherd became the actual gate. It's such a great analogy of how Jesus protects us from the enemy. Just as a shepherd made himself a door to protect his sheep, Jesus, the good shepherd, became a door to protect us from Satan, to protect us from the lies of the enemy. Who we said what? In John 10, 10, the thief, Satan, is out to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus is the good shepherd, and he is also the door to salvation. We just got through reading that, right? All throughout the Bible, Jesus is identified as the good shepherd, which we talked about last weekend if you were here. We saw, that, we saw also when we talked about Jesus being the good shepherd that you and I, we're the sheep. 
And Satan was identified as the thief. And I said to you guys, listen to me, Satan has but one goal, and that is to steal from you, to kill you, and to destroy you. To steal, kill, and destroy. And I know at times we, we blow that off and we think, well, I'm not significant enough for Satan to even know I exist. I'm not significant enough for Satan to ever do anything to me, so I'm not too worried about that. You are kidding yourself. He is out to steal, kill, and destroy every human being. That is his goal. That is his motivation. You have not gotten lost in the shuffle. He knows who you are, and he wants to destroy you. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, he says, for our struggle, I love this passage because this really brings a lot of clarity. Paul says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, this, boy, I'm telling you, if, this, if you get a hold of this, it really will open your eyes to what's going on in the spiritual realm. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So in other words, my, my problem is not with you. You know, maybe something happened and, and, and maybe you hurt me or I hurt you or, or, or somehow we're at odds with one another. What we have to realize, my battle, my struggle is actually not with you. Satan, if you've offended me, Satan has just used you. You didn't recognize it, but he's used you to offend me, to cause offense. Why? Because he's out to steal, kill, and destroy. And so Satan, in the, in the upper story, is trying to work through you or through me to cause all kinds of division because he knows that if he can divide, he can conquer. So our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So the real battle is not going on with us. The real battle is going on in the spiritual realm. And so so oftentimes you'll say, well, I, you know, you, Steve, you say Satan's out to steal, kill, and destroy me. How's he going to do that? I don't ever see the effect of that. Have you ever been at odds with somebody? Have you ever been in an argument with somebody? Have you ever split from a relationship where you're like, I don't want any part of you. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. What you didn't recognize is Satan's fingerprints are all over that. I'm telling you, his fingerprints are all over that, and he is creating division. He is creating issues so that he can divide. He knows if he can divide, he can conquer. When you look at Scripture, you know, I tell you this all the time. The secret sauce to Christianity is unity. Jesus in John 17 prayed that, Father, may they be one as you and I are one. So the secret sauce to Christianity is that God wants us to be together in unity, to love one another. Ninety-nine times throughout the New Testament, we're told to love one another. So what is Satan doing? He's doing the very opposite. He doesn't want us to love one another. He wants to bring division. And so he's going to do that by trying to put you at odds with one another. He's going to do whatever he can to keep you away from a healthy relationship with Jesus and to keep you away from a healthy relationship with one another. And that's why don't fall for it. You know, when, when all of a sudden I'm at odds with somebody, I'm at odds with this family member, I'm at odds in this relationship, I need to wake up and say, you know what, I see what the devil's doing here. Satan is trying to keep us to break apart our friendship, our relationship, and I'm not going to allow it to happen. Forgive me for this. I said stuff I shouldn't have said. I'm not going to allow Satan to do this in our lives. If Christians would start doing that, we could, we could be in begin to bring unity back to the body of Christ. 
It's why Jesus warned us when he said, remember in the Gospels, Jesus said, Satan is a liar. In fact, he is the father of lies. And that's, what, that's when we talk about spiritual warfare, how's that work? Satan lying to you. He's whispering in your ear. You're believing it. This offense came. You're believing the lie. And so therefore, I don't want anything to do with you. Satan is a liar. He's a murderer and a thief. And yet it's also important to understand that if we step through that door of salvation, what happens? That's what Jesus just said in John 10. If we step through the door of salvation, we are one of his sheep, using that same analogy. We, are, we belong to the good shepherd. Look again at the ninth verse, John 10, 9. It says, I am the door and the person who enters through me will be saved. Again, picture that shepherd being asleep at the gate there. And it's like, I'm the door and the person who enters through me will be saved and will be able to come in and go out and find pasture. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. Look again at John 14, 6. What did it say? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So again, Jesus is making it clear he's not just a door to God or one door among many doors, but he is the door. Now, I'll be honest with you guys, and I know you know this is true. That drives our culture crazy. For, for, to make a statement and to say, Jesus is the only way to God, it just irritates the snot out of people. They're just like, he, oh, he may be one way, but he's not the only way. There's a lot of ways to get to God. There is not. And Jesus made it clear that there is not several ways to get to God. He is the only way to God. They want to believe there are many doors or many different ways to get to heaven. If you're a good person, you'll get to heaven. If you give enough money, you'll get to heaven. If you help enough people, you get to heaven. If you attend church often enough, you'll get to heaven. That will not get you to heaven. I think even Christians oftentimes forget this. We so buy into this lie. We so buy into to this untruth that's being told that so many times, like I'll give you an example. Oftentimes, uh, I've been to a lot of funerals in my life, as you might imagine, as a pastor, and you always have visitation. You go to a funeral home, and I can't tell you, at funeral homes, there's all kinds of conversation that are going on, and oftentimes, you're talking about the deceased. And I can't tell you how many times I've been at a funeral of some guy that's far from God, only to hear another Christian say, you know, he was a good guy, and he was a great provider. I'm sure he's in heaven. Friends, while that might be admirable, he's not going to be in heaven. I, I don't care how good of a person he or she was. If they never invited Jesus Christ to come into their life as Savior and Lord, they will not be in heaven. It is the only way. And that oftentimes, I think, even prevents us as Christians to share our faith with people that we care about. Because we have this friend, and he's such a good guy. And you never think to share Christ with him because, man, I don't know anybody better than him. He'll, do, he'll give you the shirt off his back. Well, that's not going to get him into heaven. The only thing that gets us into heaven has nothing to do with our works and everything to do with Jesus. Everything to do with what Christ did on the cross. In Acts chapter four, it says, there is salvation in no one else. I, I don't know how much more clear that can be. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. 
Not good works, not church attendance, not being generous with your finances, only through Jesus. And, and you remember, the, the plan is simple. The Bible says in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned, every one of us in this room, we've all messed up, and we fall very short of the glory of God. And in Romans chapter 6, 23, it says, for the wages or the penalty or the price of sin is death. You and I, we deserve to die for the sin that's in our life. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what, if it's a gift, I can't purchase it. If it's a gift, I can't earn it. A gift is, is an undeserved favor. It's an undeserved merit. It's, it's a gift. And so the only way that we can receive the gift of salvation is simply by accepting it from God. We've all failed God and the penalty of sin is death. So because of our sin, because of our sin, any hope of a relationship with God would be gone. But then Romans 5 tells us, but God, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, while this may sound dogmatic, and while the world might claim that we're inflexible, the word of God makes it clear that the only way to God, the only way to eternal life is through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. And that's why it's so important for us to reach out to our unchurched friends. Don't fall into the trap of trying to determine whether your friends or coworkers or family members are going to heaven by whether they're a good person or not. If they don't have Jesus, they need to hear the gospel message. They need to hear about the love of God. They need to know how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They need to see that Jesus is the door to eternal life. And it's our responsibility as believers to help them discover that relationship. How? By inviting them to come and see. Another time that Jesus referred to the door was in Revelation chapter three, verse 20. John writes there, remember John is on the Isle of Patmos and he's writing uh, the vision that Jesus has given him. So these are actually the words of Jesus written by John. Here am I, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. So, I mean, break that down. Here I am, Jesus says, I stand at the door of your heart. In other words, there is an entry, an entryway, an entry place into your life. And if anyone hears my voice, I'm whispering in you that I love you. He's whispering in your ear that I love you. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus is knocking on the door of our life and he wants to be invited in. But it's up to us. I'm telling you, it's up to us to open the door of our heart. I'm reminded, and many of you are, will recognize that I'm reminded of the Holman Hunt's famous painting, Jesus at the Door. You remember that? I mean, it's been around all my life and all your life. It was painted clear back in 1853. But I don't know if you've ever noticed or heard, there's no doorknob. There's no handle on that door. That was intentional. Hunt was asked about that, and his response was that the handle is on the inside of the door. And we're the only ones that can open the door of our life and allow Jesus to come in. In this verse, Christ also invites us to eat or to sup or to dine with him. In other words, this was an invitation for believers to fellowship with him. The question is, are we doing the same thing with our friends who are hungry for the bread of life? 
Are we extending an invitation to people that we say we love or we care about, that are hungry, that know they're missing something in life? They may not be able to define it or explain it. They just know that something's missing. They don't quite know what. The Bible tells us that Christ was a friend to sinners. And we're to emulate Jesus. We're to emulate Christ. And so I would ask you guys, are you a friend to sinners? Are you inviting someone that's far from Christ to dine or to fellowship with you? Week after week, hungry people in our community file by our doors just waiting for an invitation. We have nine physical campuses, nine physical locations. And I'm telling you, at every single one of them, there are people that in our community that file by the doors of each one of those campuses just waiting for an invitation to come inside. Christians, I'm saying we need to push back from the table and invite our friends to the meal so that they can eat and never grow hungry, so that they can drink and never be thirsty. You know, the Apostle Paul also used a metaphor of a door from time to time. We find him agonizing over people or people groups whose door was closed to the message of the gospel. Now think about this. Most of the New Testament churches were started by the Apostle Paul. You probably knew that. He's, he went on three missionary journeys. After he became a believer, he was fired up and he wanted people to know about the, the love of Jesus Christ. And so he went on three separate missionary journeys. And along the way, he started churches in every one of those communities. And he wanted to spread the good news of God's amazing love and God's forgiveness. Always looking, he said it this way, always looking for an open door to the gospel. Now, not only would there not only would there be people that would ignore him, but a few would actually beat him or have him arrested. Other times, they would actually have him physically thrown out of the city. And yet it never deterred him from continuing on. And as I said, almost all the New Testament churches were started by the Apostle Paul in his three missionary journeys, even though he was abused and physically beaten for his stance for Christ. And you think, guys, what? What kept him moving? What kept him going? His resolve was to build a church that talked about the love of God. And yet today, we feel threatened. Today, if we're honest, we feel threatened if someone laughs at us, if someone snubs us or teases us about being a believer or being a Christian. We'd never want to risk, and of course, we'd never want to risk offending someone. And if I bring up Christianity, I might offend them, or, or, or they may not want to talk to me anymore. Listen, guys, I'm not advocating that we get in someone's face. I, I don't believe that's the way to do that. I, I don't think we should get in someone's face and tell them to turn or burn. That just doesn't work. Or stand on some soapbox and to preach and shout at them. That doesn't work today, nor do I believe actually that it's ever worked. And it's not how Paul did it either. If you read the Pauline epistles, you'll see that he went in and he established relationships with people and he shared his story of how he came to discover a relationship with Christ on the Damascus Road. So the way Paul established these churches and shared his faith was exactly the way you and I should share our faith today. He just said, man, this is what happened to me. I, I, I was a zealot to stop Christianity, but on my, on my way to Damascus, I got knocked off my high horse, 
And God spoke to me from heaven. And because of it, he was blinded. And because of it, his life was completely transformed. And so because of this major change that happened in Paul's life, he had a passion to reach as many people as he possibly could that were far from Christ. So he, he took every opportunity to get the message out, even if, they did not re- even if they did reject him. It didn't matter to him. He wasn't gonna stop. He wasn't gonna lower his head and go home. He just continued to go from community to community, sharing the love of Jesus, so that as many people as possible could hear the good news. He spent the entire missionary, he, he spent his entire missionary travels and his entire ministry trying to advance the gospel in the face of closed doors. One time when Paul was chained up and in a prison cell, he writes a letter to the church at Colossae, Colossians, and he asks them, please pray. Well, what did he want them to pray for? Chapter four, verse three, it says, and pray for us too. What did he want them to pray? That God may open a door for our message that God might open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in change. He's not asking them to pray for the prison door to open so that he could get out. That's what I probably would have been praying for. God, please guys, pray that I'll get out of here, that I'll have an open prison door so that I can leave. He's asking them to pray for an open door to the message of the gospel, that they might be receptive and that they might be receptive when they hear the gospel message. Let me ask you, friends, how often do you pray for God to give you an open door with your coworkers? I mean, you've gotta be honest with yourself. Only you can answer this. I mean, seriously, when was the last time you actually said a prayer and said, God, please give me an opportunity to reach my coworkers? So many of them are so far from you, so far from Christ. Give me that opportunity that I might share my story. Give me that opportunity that I, might, that I might have a spiritual intersection where I can demonstrate the love of Christ to them. Guys, I would encourage you to daily pray that kind of a prayer. And I think you're gonna be amazed, I think you're gonna be surprised at how many times God will give you that opportunity. He'll give you the opportunity to speak into their lives if you're asking him to do that. The things that matter, listen, The things that matter most to God will not matter to us until they become a focus of our prayers. Did you hear that? The things that matter most to God will not matter to you or to me until they become a focus of our prayers. So in other words, if if God has told me that I have a responsibility and an obligation to reach people that are far from Christ, I'm not gonna care about that unless I'm praying about that. So if I'm daily praying for my coworkers, all of a sudden I'm gonna start caring about my coworkers. I'm not gonna be spiritually sensitive to the spiritual intersections of my life until it's something I'm praying about. The same way with your neighbors. When was the last time you prayed for your neighbors to find Christ? Because I'll promise you, I'll promise you, I challenge you to put me to the test. You start praying for your neighbors and start asking God to give you opportunities. All of a sudden, you become aware of your neighbors. And all of a sudden, you'll see the spiritual intersections and the spiritual opportunities that come your way. You won't miss them. You'll recognize them. 
Jesus told us very clearly in Matthew chapter 28, therefore go and do what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Guys, there's no way around it. If you profess to be a Christian, if you profess to be a believer, we have a responsibility, we have an obligation to share our faith with others. Paul took it seriously, and so should you, and so should I. I'm confident, I am confident that this was a part of Paul's daily prayer routine, that it was a part of Paul's daily prayer life. God, I can hear Paul praying, God, just give me one more open door to reach a guard. God, just give me one more opportunity to reach another inmate for Christ. Paul was always looking for that open door, asking others, please pray that God will give me this open door. Give me another opportunity, another spiritual intersection. An intersection where he could tell people how much Jesus loved them. You know, we complain oftentimes, and I'm guilty as anybody else, we complain about how hard it is. You know, it's hard to share your faith. It's hard to, uh, to do evangelism. I mean, we're, we're living in, it's 2021 and times are tough and times are hard. And guys, I, I will confess this. I will, I will admit that we're quickly losing our religious freedoms and that's an entirely different conversation. We're quickly in this country losing our religious freedoms. But I would still tell you, it's still easier than it's ever been before to share Christ. We're still living in a country, hear me please, we're still living in a country where there are active churches on, in every community, where there are active churches almost on every corner. We live in a community where we can tell our friends about Jesus without fear of imprisonment. We don't have to hold, we don't have to hold some kind of secret worship service in fear that soldiers would break through our doors and stop us. And we can invite our friends and our neighbors to church without fear of repercussion. I'm just saying, guys, we still have an open door, but it's not something I think we should ever take for granted. And I could give you, it's on a whole nother talk, I could give you examples of things that are happening across the country right now that we can see that door closing. That door could close at any time, and so while it's still wide open, we need to be taking full advantage of it with our neighbors and our coworkers. There are tens of thousands of unchurched people. Think about that. There are tens of thousands of unchurched people that live near our campuses, and I'm fully convinced that we could make a big difference fulfilling the Great Commission if we would simply commit to reach one. That's it. If every one of us, it's not a big ask. See, we oftentimes think that the Great Commission is this huge ask, and I'm not a pastor, I'm not a preacher, I don't know how I'm gonna do that. It's not really a big ask when you put it in perspective. I think if we'd simply commit to reach one, imagine what could happen if every one of us just said, okay, in 2021, I'm just gonna reach one person this year. That's all I'm gonna be concerned about is one individual. Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a neighbor or family member. This is who I'm gonna pray for on a daily basis. I'm gonna turn this into a habit. I'm gonna pray for them every single day. Guys, Northview is a church of 12,000 plus people. Imagine if every, if every one of us just said, we're just gonna take one neighbor or we're just gonna take one coworker. I'm telling you, 
that a year from now, we would see 12,000 more people find a relationship with Jesus Christ. I think you, I think you might be surprised how many of your friends would absolutely love to connect with the church. And I know some of you say, oh, not my friends, you're wrong. Not my coworkers, you're wrong. I think it might surprise you. There may be, they may be saying one thing on the outside, but inside, people oftentimes are struggling and they're looking for hope, they're looking for answers. And I think you'd be surprised how many would love to connect with the church, but they either don't know where to go or they're uncomfortable walking through a door alone. And that's where a simple invitation could be all that it takes for them to visit one of our campuses. So again, I'm just asking you to make an effort. I'm asking you, every one of you, this is my challenge to you, that you would draw a line in the sand today and say, okay, God, I commit to do that. I know the Great Commission has, has made it very clear I have an obligation, so God, I commit to one person in 2021. And I'm gonna start praying for that person on a daily basis. I'm gonna call their name out every single day. And I'm gonna watch for spiritual intersections. I'm gonna watch for opportunities that I can speak into their life. And I promise you, because you're praying for them, you'll recognize it when it comes. Friends, it's a big deal. Without a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is no hope for them to make it to heaven. And if you really love them, if you really care for them, this is a big deal. I'm sure that your friends and your family are great people, but if they don't have a relationship with Jesus, they are not gonna make it to heaven. So it's risky, it's so risky to make an assumption that everything will be okay with them. Maybe later in life they'll do this. How can we say we care about someone and yet ignore their spiritual life? Listen, all of us know of at least one person that we need to lead through the door of life. We all know of one person we need to lead through the door next weekend. And so I just challenge you this week, find your one. Find your one and begin to pray. Build a relationship with them. Build a friendship with them. Find ways that you can help them. Find ways that you can serve them. If they need to talk, be willing to inconvenience yourself to just simply listen. That's the way Paul built the New Testament church when he started all these new churches on those missionary journeys. He just established relationships. And because he was willing to listen, because he was willing to talk with them, hundreds and thousands of people surrendered their heart to our relationship with Jesus Christ. And then let me just ask you this. What about you? Are you sure you've entered that door? Are you absolutely sure that you've stepped through the door and you've made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life? Because we've all messed up, we've all sinned against God, and we all deserve to die for the sin in our life. And the only way that we can step through that door is by receiving the gift of salvation. God will never force you to do it. It's totally your call. You have to determine whether to accept it or reject it, but it's completely up to you. Thanks again for joining us on this week's podcast. If you have any questions or would like to speak with a pastor, please connect with us on our website or through social media. You can also find a Northview location to visit in person by going online to northviewchurch.us and then selecting the locations page. We're so glad you joined us today and we hope you have a great week.